0: And now, today's podcast episode.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm just one of your co-hosts, Bill.
2: And I'm Mikel.
1: So there's the other. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about, there were a couple things that were happening in our lives this last week. And then we want to talk a little bit about the book you recommended last week, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. It's so good. Oh my gosh. So I'm to the point, you were telling me yesterday about this community in Bolivia, that drinks, and they just drink all through the night when people pass out. When just they on come the weekend. To, yeah, just on the weekend. And when they come to, they go right back to partying again. And this is just standard procedure every single weekend. The The host, whoever decides the host that week, buys the first bo- bottle of alcoholic beverage and then sends out invitations. And every weekend in Bolivia, uh, these people, these groups of people, whoever these people are, they get together and they drink all through the weekend and it's like this uh, this this ritual that's been going on for uh, lots and lots of years.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating to me.
1: So maybe let's start there. Let's talk a little bit about this book. What are some of the things that stuck out to you, Mikhail?
2: Um The default to truth, how he talks about... Um, so Malcolm Gladwell in his book is quoting another researcher. And this researcher, um, I forget his first name, but his last name is Levine or Levine. And he talks about how as humans, we often just default to truth. And what that means is there might be red flags that we see or doubts that we have about a person or a story or whatever it is. But we have, we have this default to truth system where we overlook those or we diminish them because if we didn't, our society would not be able to function. If, if we thought everybody was lying to us or out to get us, our societies would not function. So we default to truth.
1: Yeah, there was this conversation going on. And they use certain cases. Um they talked about Jerry Sandusky who is the Penn State head coach who was allegedly uh, and I think convicted. I think
2: he's convicted.
1: Yeah, so convicted that he was essentially sexually raping or or uh, sexually Abusing. assaulting uh young kids, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. And uh, the other one was a gymnast coach who for years uh was a successful gymnast coach and was constantly coming up with medical reasons to insert his fingers into the gymnast that he was training. And uh, essentially what they were talking about with this truth default system that's inside us, as you just pointed out, in evolution, we are much better off to allow from time to time somebody to, in the tribe, to manipulate and abuse us but that it's for the better good if we can be cohesive and get along and trust each other and have a tight knit community. And so when somebody does something, if, if we perceive that person as like, nah, it couldn't be them. And then suddenly there, the evidence shows up that, that there's reason to doubt that they're as good as we thought they were, that the evidence has to be so overwhelming for us to let go of our bias towards believing this person to be a good person, they couldn't have done this, um, that we often allow uh, people in our communities who are deeply abusive, manipulative, to get away with the things they do.
2: Yeah, he also talked about two other stories that were really interesting to me. One was about a woman who was a spy for Cuba for years. Oh, yes. But she worked for the U.S. government, and and one person um, kind of raised his concerns and said, I think she's not what she says she is. And they did an investigation, an initial investigation, and you know, couldn't find anything that really raised enough red flags for them to dig deeper for a couple of years. And so that story was really interesting. And then it, it tells um, the story of a guy who um, was on to Bernie Madoff Way before the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme uh, was figured out, and so they talked about him. He doesn't have a default to truth system. I mean, he does, but he, he overrides distrust, it. Yeah,
1: he distrusts everybody. Like he starts with the assumption you're all that, bullshitting me. <laughs>
2: right. So it it was so interesting to hear those other two stories. Um, you know, especially the one about the the guy who overrides his default to truth system.
1: There was also conversation in the book about how whenever we see another person's body language, they use the Amanda Knox story as an example, but judges, yeah, whenever we're fucking it up, we are like we only so if we have to determine whether someone's telling the truth or whether they're lying. We only get it right 54% of the time, just above coincidence, just above right. luck, just above what normal guessing would be. Um, and so we're not very good at it. And in fact, if we plug the data of a court case into a computer, they said the computer does better than the judge because the judge is often using body language in his determination and, uh, and often is getting it wrong. And so I can only imagine at this point how many false convictions there right. are in the US prison system.
2: It's it's insane. The book is fascinating, and it's it's not that we need to distrust everybody now, but it it's just interesting to reevaluate the way that we look at people, particularly with the way that we look at strangers, people that are different from us.
1: Yeah, and there was a lot of conversation about look, there is a portion of the population that their body language matches uh, the sincerity of what they are saying. There are there are situations where Um, a certain percentage of our population is authentically portraying body language that matches the real thoughts inside their head, but but that the majority of us have some level of disconnect there, that when we're telling the truth, we give off body language that we're lying. And when we're lying, we often give off body language that we're telling the truth.
2: Right. So what's the point of all of this?
1: Well, what I think it means for me is we have to stop assuming yeah. as we go out into society and have interactions with people. Like when I sit at a, a party with my friends and I already have spent enough time with each of you that I know you well enough that... I am comfortable with like, oh, those are their quirks and those are their idiosyncrasies. And so those don't throw me off when, when one of you are telling a story. But when we deal with strangers, we don't know what their quirks are. We don't know what their idiosyncrasies are. We don't know if they're nervous all the time or if they're only nervous when they're lying. And so it just causes me to pause and say like, okay, let me cut this person a little bit more slack than what I do. Um, and and just sit back and allow them to be be truthful to what they're saying and at the same time also now hold some doubts in my head, right? Like it works both ways. Like I need to cut them a break and I also need to be skeptical.
2: That's, that is really interesting. And I think it's complicated.
1: And and I think, yeah, I think it shows a lot of room to be manipulated by systems too. Sure. Um, When you look at the leaders of any system, especially when those systems are unhealthy, and we understand that we collectively default to believing the authorities of those right. systems as telling the truth, um, man, it causes me more pause now when I see uh, political leaders or religious leaders, people who have a lot at stake in in uh, value in manipulating us, and I now I'm just an added level of skepticism towards them.
2: Yeah, it's interesting.
1: It's was there anything else? Yeah, was there anything else in the book that caught your eye?
2: Um, yeah, so he, towards the end of the book, he talks about um, this this theory called coupling. And that was also really interesting. And maybe I'll wait till you get to that point and we can talk about it later. But- um,
1: What does he mean by coupling?
2: So he's talking about it in relation to suicide in this portion of the book and how um, in the 19, I don't remember when he said, I think it was 40s and 50s in the UK, they they used um, a gas that was- had a high amount of carbon monoxide in it to heat their homes and stoves and things like that. And, um, because it had such a high carbon monoxide content, it was an easy way for people to commit suicide because they died quickly. And he, he talks about this poet, um, who, who used that method. She sealed off the kitchen, um, You know, locked herself in the kitchen, put towels under the door and turned on all of the burners and then stuck her head inside the, just with the gas, uh, stuck her head inside the oven and and committed suicide that way. And so the phenomena is that um, oftentimes people think that if you remove one method of suicide, people are just going to find another way. But what they found, um, and he quotes a bunch of researchers, is that when they remove the method that people have been using, they often don't find another way. They 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 don't commit suicide. Um, so it, yeah, it was fascinating. So he was telling the story of how um, the UK eventually phased out that type of gas and started using natural gas, which had a much, much lower content of carbon monoxide and how even cars nowadays have a much, because of catalytic converters and other things, that it has a much lower level of carbon monoxide. And so that's that stopped people from using that method and through research they found that those that group of people didn't find another method they just didn't commit suicide and it, so the phenomena is called coupling and wow,
1: that is strange
2: yeah and how um it, it yeah just interesting just interesting
1: I, I, and I would have thought the other way as well. I would have thought, right. hey, look, if we just if we take a gun away from them, they're going to just hang themselves or jump off a building. Right. Or we come up with like, okay, they're just going to figure out another way. But as you're pointing out, the evidence says that that's not the case, that suicide would drastically go down if you remove that person's primary mode of trying to do it. Right. Wow. Um, I'll tell you, when you talk about carbon monoxide, I think I breathed in a lot of carbon monoxide last night. Uh, we were at a... Uh, a house with a with a fireplace, <laughs> and and I I think I breathed a lot of that in. So, um, is
2: that why your voice is a little raspy? Yeah, this I think
1: it is. I wasn't breathing too good when I woke up this morning. It was man a lot of fun. I'll tell you, I was at a, a party last night. You guys were there too, and um, man, I I was in one of those headspaces where I just wasn't able to kind of like hold what I wanted to say together. I was just struggling with it. And I know people were probably deeply offended by me because because there were people there I, last I night don't who think people were, you, f- you don't think so. No. Yeah. But see in my head, I'm going from person to person and they're all going like, Hey, Bill real, I know you. And I don't know them as well. They've listened to other work that I've done. And so we're having this small talk conversation and I just realized that I'm not, uh, I'm not proficient last <laughs> night, right? At staying in these conversations. And so within a few minutes, I'm finding some way to like move on because I just want to sit on the couch and be not left, not left alone because I want to be left alone, but left alone because I can't contribute in a way that it, it just was almost embarrassing. Um, but I ended up on the couch talking to a friend of ours named Ben and Ben is just, man, the guy is just smart. I mean, he's got, he's just he's brilliant. super smart. Yes. And so, Um, I'm sitting here talking to him and he's talking about reality and some of the podcasts he's listening to and how, how humans are rather than actually enjoying the reality in the moment, what humans are doing is they're actually living out what they predict will happen in the next quarter second. And so we're constantly essentially hallucinating what is going on around us in that moment. Like, yes, everything is where it's supposed to be, but we're, projecting how we perceive the conversations about to go. And then our mind is continually making these adjustments, um, to take in what actually did happen in that moment. And then now predict the next quarter second. And and he was going off in this and it was beyond my pay grade. Like, I'm like, wow, this is deep (laughs) stuff. This is like evolutionary, uh, human behavior combined with like alien science. And I was, uh, both amazed and struggled to stay with the conversation. Um, but it was so fascinating just to hear him point to. And I'll I'll put in the links he gave me. In fact, let me pull it up here just so people can go find this. Um, I asked him last night to send me one of these. And it he sent me a TED Talk from Lisa Feldman Barrett. She is one of those that was talking about that. And then he also sent me the book Behave by Robert uh, Sapolsky. Um, and essentially what both of those... Uh, authors or speakers are kind of addressing is the way our brain works it moment to moment in projecting, um, your own kind of mindset, trying to make sense of what's going on in the person talking to you or, or what you're trying to do at work that moment. I just think we're fascinating creatures and we don't even comprehend thousands and thousands of mechanisms going on each and every moment in our life to help us make sense of this uh, crazy world. That's crazy. What else is going on in your life, Mikael?
2: Um, let's see. Not a lot. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> so you came to to my work yesterday. I want to talk about oh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. thing you went to here in a few minutes. Um, you talked last week, you know, we had this grandbaby and I'm just so thrilled. We've got this. He's uh, adorable. Garrett. Oh, he is. He's just, he's just beautiful. And, and the moment I saw him, I just fell in love with him. And so Garrett, Jace, uh, real are my first grandson. And at the same time that my son and my daughter-in-law were having this baby, my mom had made plans to to come here to Southern Utah and to visit with us. My mom's dealing with some illness, and and some of that illness has, at various points, kind of uh, had some effect on her her mental capability. And she flies in. the The plan was she was supposed to fly into Vegas uh, eleven o'clock on Saturday night, and. She lands the plane at 11.15. She, she lands there. it? Well, yeah. She just you know overtook the cockpit, cockpit, threw the pilot off to the side, and just flew the plane herself. So, no. So, she is flying an airplane. You're messing me up. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm barely holding it together. <laughs> I'm barely holding it together, and you're throwing wrenches. You can see I'm really struggling to put sentences together. Um. So the airplane lands at 1115. My mom is supposed to go get her rental car immediately, pick up her luggage, get a rental car, go back to a hotel, which is only 15 minutes away. The rental car uh, building is right next to the airport. You get a little tiny shuttle. You ride over. You just you, you get your car and you move along. Um, and, and but here's what happened. So she lands at 1115 p.m. It shouldn't have taken her more than an hour to get a rental car. And that's giving her a lot of leeway. It ends up being like 315 in the morning that my dad gets an email confirmation that she's picked up the rental car. So from 315 in the morning, so now we got almost four hours later and my mom then takes another hour or so to get to the hotel. Um, And at that point, my dad, that's all the contact he's had is the notification the plane landed. He's got a notification from the rental car company. She picks it up. And he's got a notification from the hotel that check-in has occurred. So at 4 something in the morning, he texts me and says, Billy, message me when you get up. Message me when you get up. And so when I get up, um, I see it at 630 a.m. my time in Southern Utah. I'm two hours behind Ohio. And I message my dad and tell him, hey, what's going on? He says, here's what I know. Your mom landed at 1115. She didn't pick up the rental car until four hours later at 315. And she didn't get to the hotel until over an hour after that, which was only 15 minutes away from the rental car place. So we're like, okay, let's let's just chill out. Let's see what happens. And we expect my mom to show up maybe, you know, n- noon, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. By the time 1 o'clock comes, we're like, okay, let's revisit this. Me, my dad, and my brother are like, what can we do? So my dad calls the hotel, and he is on the phone with security. Um, He can't get them to do anything because of privacy law. So I call up and say, look, I don't need any information from you. Just go check on my mom. Go do a wellness check. So they go do a wellness check. My mom was supposed to check out of the hotel at 11 a.m. It is now 1.30ish, and they say her luggage is still in her room. Um, They can't tell me anything about her. Um, but they say she was supposed to check out. Luggage is still in the room. They finally, f- because they're a casino, um, right part of this hotel. And my mom likes to gamble. My dad challenges them to uh, check out her player's card where it's uh, plugged in. And because you put your player's card into the various games that are out there. And you get extra points if you've got some kind of like, membership with that hotel or that casino. And so they figure out where my mom is. And at 2.30, she calls us. And she says, okay, I'm in town. Let me take a shower. I'll be, I'll be right over. Um, And here she hasn't checked out. So 2.30, we're like, okay, she goes upstairs, she checks out, she takes a shower, she comes to see us. Five o'clock, we should expect her. At 5.30, she's still nowhere in southern Utah, and my dad just sees a notification that she had just taken out another $120 to gamble at the casino. My mom loves to gamble, but something's not right. Something's not working in her head right. She was supposed to check out hours ago. She's supposed to come see her grandson in Southern Utah, and she just cannot stop this loop inside her head of staying at these casino games and continuing to play the slot machines. So finally, I reach out to some friends that live in Vegas, and at 6 o'clock, I send a couple of friends uh, to the casino to try and find her. They walk in, and right away, they hear over the loudspeaker, uh, my mom's name being called. And so they know that, you know, she's there. They're looking for, one is outside looking for a vehicle in the parking lot. The other one is walking all over the casino trying to find her.
2: I'm, yeah, I'm amazed they found her.
1: Yeah, and they did. This is a smaller casino in Vegas. So they they finally locate her at 7 o'clock. And the moment they say they see her, and they send me a picture, and I verify that's her, I grab my wife, and we jump in my van, and we drive to Vegas as fast as we can. And at 9 o'clock p.m., I pick my mother up from the casino and ask her to get in the van. We leave her rental car there because at this point, I'm just not going to take the chance. And we take her back to, to southern Utah. It's a two-hour, a little over two-hour drive back. And we take her to her hotel that she's got. It's only a couple blocks from my house, and my house is already full of people. And she was well enough to be able to you know stay at her hotel. But by the next day, so that night, she had a little bit of a slur and she you could tell she wasn't thinking all you know very well she was struggling with some some mental capability and the next morning when my son went to pick her up he saw the same traits and then by noon that day she was right back to her normal self she wasn't she wasn't slurring she was witty she was talking uh, fast she was having an easy time pulling out thoughts and uh, memories and information she had no problem staying on task and so there was like this 24-hour blip of getting off this airplane, her just struggling to get to the places she needed to get to and eventually almost kind of, um, you know, conscious and awake, but also somewhat mentally paralyzed in this loop of staying at these slot machines and never getting up and and leaving when she was supposed to leave.
2: That's crazy.
1: Like the human brain is um, it's a strange thing when things don't, when things aren't working right, when there's some kind of glitch in the system,
2: it's crazy. I, I'm, I'm floored that they were able to find her, and um, really glad that you guys got to spend some time with her.
1: Yeah, it was really good. She was here for three days, and we just had a really good time. Uh, and then we took her back up to Vegas, and got her on her airplane, got her back uh, back home, and and all of it went really well. Um, but it's just an insane day of. Things supposed to happen a certain way, and most of us, most of the time, we have no problem completing tasks and setting priorities and keeping schedules and knowing when we have to do things and by what time these things have to be completed. And then sometimes we we have a unique situation where our brain just doesn't do what it's supposed to do.
2: Man, I feel like my brain doesn't do what it's supposed to do all the time.
1: I'm feeling that way this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um you talked a little bit to me yesterday. Tell us tell me your story.
2: Oh, that's the problem bill. It's a lot of story.
1: Yeah, there a lot of story which I think is going to point to a lot of shadow work that all of us are doing and we're just going to use the example this morning. Yay. You're the lab rat.
2: I'm not really excited about it, but Well, well let's go do it anyway. There. Okay. We'll go there. <laughs> you tell it. Um so like yeah, like like you said, we all we all have stories going on, and it's for me. I'm just trying to learn a healthier way to tell the story, rather than the story always being about my world falling apart. So, a few weeks ago, Kelsey and I were invited to um, a get together down in Las Vegas, and um, this was something that was new for us. Um, and so we we decided to check this. Um, party out, and some of the people that were there, uh, we had found out were swingers, and some of them were not, and I I don't care what people choose to do, but um, Kelsey ended up having quite a bit to drink, and so she was intoxicated, and I had 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 my fair amount, and we had been talking to different people throughout the night, and um, at one point, I was sitting and talking to this guy and he was watching his wife make out, not his wife, his partner. They're not married, but they'd been together for a long time. He was watching his partner make out with another guy. And I, I was just like, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could share my wife. I'm very jealous. And and I don't think that I would have an easy time with that. And he was he was explaining that it's about trust and they love each other. And he knows that she's always coming home to him and vice versa. And he said to me, I bet if you asked your girl right now she, to go, she would get up and go. And so in my stupor, um, I lean over, Kelsey was sitting on the other side of the couch, and I say, hey, babe, let's go. And she was like, no, uh, I don't, I, we can't go right now. And in my head, I interpreted that as she's having too much fun. She wants to be here with other people. She doesn't want to go home with me. Oh, man, I'm such a piece of shit.
1: Right. You're telling a story in your head.
2: Right. Because was, this
1: guy, this guy had set you up. This guy, <laughs> hold on. So this is important because this guy, he's I telling not, you what task to do.
2: <laughs> I did not realize what was happening. At yeah, the this time. guy's,
1: yeah, he's telling you what task to do. You're, you're half in the bag. So you lean over to say like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy's onto something. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge my girl to see if she'll do what I tell her to do. And she doesn't. Right. And so now <laughs> you're in your head going like, oh, the sky is falling.
2: Yes. So my immediately in my head stories start, right? And what what was happening was Kelsey was feeling too too drunk to make a decision to leave. She was feeling some nausea and wanted to just kind of settle things down before we left and she wasn't able to drive. And so that's her rationale for saying no, you know, let like let's stay here.
1: Right, she's making a Informed decision inside her head, like, look, I'm too gone right. to try and go right now. Plus, neither one of us can drive right now. Right. So the rational, logical answer from her story inside her head is like, no, we can't leave right now. We have to stay longer. Right. Meanwhile, you're feeling like, hey, I, I'm telling you that w- I want to leave and we should leave and you should love me enough that you compromise right. your night to make sure that I'm safe if I need to go. And and so now you have these competing stories.
2: Right. So. I'm sitting there and totally in my head. The, I'm starting to to spiral,
1: or um, go down the rabbit hole, as we like to call. Uh,
2: them. I know I started, and so <laughs> Kelsey, she keeps talking to who she's talking to. This guy's keep he's still talking to me, and then Kelsey gets up and she says, "I've got to pee. I'll be right back."
1: Right and. And time is already off
2: it is because you
1: you're right because you're under the influence of alcohol and so time right. isn't exactly what it's supposed to be and your girl says look, I'm just gonna go pee and I'll be right back
2: right back right and so what seemed like hours go by and she doesn't come back and this guy he's like where where's your where's your where's your girl where'd she go and I'm like, I don't know she said she'd be right back and and he's like she's not that probably means she's hooked up with someone <laughs> and I'm like what? what is happening?
1: This guy, this guy doesn't sound like a cool dude. This guy is, he, he knows he's sending you down stories. He knows he's but we're also causing making, you anxiety.
2: We're also <laughs> making up stories about him. We, he's not here to tell his story. So I'm not going to so, tell right, his story. So, he's,
1: no? so he has a version too, where he's just trying to help you out. Maybe. <laughs> But you're right. We're telling his story. So let's stop it. Let's let him speak for himself. If he if he wants to come forward and do an interview on the almost awakened and tell us how this went down, we can do that. But he he's telling you, like, look, your girl probably just went off with somebody and is hooking up. Right. <laughs> and you're in this mindset, like, oh my gosh, maybe that is what maybe happened. Maybe that's true. <laughs> so then you go looking for. Her.
2: So I I can't see her. Anywhere, And I'm talking to two of my other friends that had come to this get together. And I'm like, I can't find Kelsey. And so they look for her. And I don't know. They've got different versions of the story as well. One of them says that at some point they told me she was down in the bathroom, but I don't remember that part. And so I go outside with one of my friends. Cause he's like, maybe she went outside to get some air. So we, we go outside and we're looking for her. And he's like, do you think she would have walked home?
1: Which is now putting another story in right. your head. So, and so I, now you're like, maybe she did. Maybe walk. Maybe she
2: did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm outside. It's cold. I'm crying. My two friends are taking turns holding me while I ugly cry. And there were, there were like 10,000 stories in my head about what, had happened and what kind of person I was and it was it was not good it was not good so we I end up finding her not I end up finding where she's at um one of my friends one of our friends found her she was downstairs in the bathroom puking her guts out so we go back in the house and um I'm I find out there's a basement had no idea there was a basement in this house and Kelsey's down in the basement facts
1: we need when someone's missing
2: right (laughs) essential um so i'm I, walking downstairs and there's a woman that's walking we pass each other on in the stairwell and she points at kelsey she looked at me points at kelsey and says not your shit and i again another story in my head was like oh damn they've been talking about me
1: they've been talking kelsey's about kelsey's just
2: laying it all on the line about how sh- crappy i am
1: and yeah that's yeah so again, who knows what's going on? Of course, you find out later, but who knows right. what's going on, but in your head you're like shit this these like this chick's talking about me, and right. this chick's talking about the fact that Kelsey's talking about me, and now she's just giving some kind of judgment call as she walks away,
2: yeah, so it turns out you know that there were there were a lot of things that were happening behind the scenes that I wasn't aware of, Kelsey said that she needed to go to the bathroom, but she really went to go throw up and she was really nauseated and sick. And
1: Which takes wanted... longer than it does to pee.
2: Right. <laughs> and, and while she was downstairs talking or throwing up, somebody had come to check on her and comfort her and help her feel better. And while she was doing that, they started talking about something completely unrelated. Um, they weren't talking about me. They were talking about Kelsey's stuff and stories that she gets going in her head. And so the context was completely different. And long story short, I, I, I have to figure out a way to not go to the worst stories. Um,
1: and I think a lot of people do this. A lot of people are in their heads worried about 50 different potential negative outcomes instead of just letting the one positive outcome that's going to happen happen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But even, even just the emotion attached to the story, I've got to figure out a way to sit with the discomfort, the tension, the anxiety, whatever it is, and not make up a story about what I'm feeling to try and make the feelings go away or get better. And I've got to, I've got to figure out a way to not go to the negative stories um, so quickly.
1: Yeah, I think when when we're having interactions with the world, specifically with other people, there are a multitude of ways to interpret events as they happen. And when we're healthy and when we're not feeling anxiety and when we feel safe in the world, we generally interpret those events in ways that don't add to our anxiety or our fear or our worry. But when we already start with the ground of like, I'm already feeling anxiety, I'm already worried, I'm already nervous about how this is going to go, it seems like our minds are then drawn to take the events as they happen in front of us and interpret them in ways that we come to like, oh, worst case scenario, that's probably what happened. My my girl probably hooked up with somebody and then she walked home in the middle of the night, uh, half in the bag, which doesn't make any sense, right? Like it doesn't right. make any sense. And yet when we're already worried about the world around us crumbling, we tend to perceive events in front of us in the worst way possible.
2: Yeah, so that's something that I'm working on. Um, Because even in the moment, it was interesting. I had a couple of thoughts that I remembered coming to my head. Um, As I was sitting outside, I thought of Malcolm Gladwell's book, and he talks about um, alcohol. And sometimes when people use alcohol, they, they get myopic, meaning they only focus on one thing they can't the brain can't process anything other than kind of what's in front of them and i remember thinking that and thinking i got to get out of this i got to get out of this myopic thought but i didn't possess the brain capacity to be able to pull myself out of it um at that point but i've got to figure out i've got to figure out how to do it because it it affects not only me but it it affects other relationships and and i don't want um to damage those other relationships that I have with people.
1: Yeah, no, no, I totally get that. Um, I I think that we're all, so substances, like we're talking alcohol here in this instance, I think when anybody tries to alter their consciousness, when you're in the right set and setting, those can be really beautiful or fun experiences. But when when the set and setting is already has some negativity to it or, and, and, and again, no offense to the guy sitting next to you, But but your myopic negativity started long earlier, you know, long ago earlier in that conversation as he's talking and he's planting the seeds of negative things happening, and you're suddenly having this self-doubt. And it's really easy in situations like this to realize, like, oh, let's go back in time and look at the entire thing as it unfolded and see what led to this this emotional Uh, Breakdown, scared to death that your girl uh, either, hey, a had you know ran off and hooked up with somebody, which was an absurd thought, but it was it was already planted this negativity, or the idea that she would just get up and just walk home in the middle of the night, half in the bag, which also, like, yes, some people do that, but most people know better than to do that, and Kelsey's one of those people who knows better than to do something like that. And yet here you are telling yourself without any negative interaction really between you and Kelsey, right? Like you didn't have a fight.
2: Yeah. We had, we prior to that had been having a great time.
1: Right. And so this guy sends you down kind of, and again, we're not going to blame him. We're just going to say like, this is what humans do. We have conversations and we're always interpreting what the other person's saying. The other person's assuming whether we're getting a laugh out of it or whether we're actually having these negative thoughts in our head. He doesn't know that. And, and so it just kind of sends you, there's this fork in the road and now you go down this this other angle and, and you're in this uh, pit of negativity. And so now everything is, the the sky is falling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I think humans have got to learn to just pause um, and sit with things and try to kind of let things unfold. Almost when we think when we think a situation is life or death, or we think a situation is make or break, and usually it's not. Usually it's much gentler than that. But we're often in our heads just coming up with the worst case scenario and then trying to protect ourselves against it.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting because not not everybody goes there. You know, not everybody goes to the place that the the sky is falling. Some people do, and it's interesting that some people don't. I think it's it's part personality, but part um, training yourself to sit with the emotions that are coming up, rather than jumping to the stories in your head to try and explain the emotions that are coming up.
1: Yeah, so I I can tell you, and, and again, this is going to sound arrogant to the audience. But I'm, we already know, Bill. I'm one of those... You th-
2: always have your shit together. Well, no, okay.
1: <laughs> you know better than that. Um, I just hide it really well, right? Like I... For the most part, yeah. I can kind of keep it out of the public eye. But I'm one of those that generally can sit with those feelings and thoughts of negativity and not kind of spiral out. And, and people, maybe you look at me and, and others probably look at me and go like, he just has his shit together. And the reality is, no... I have those initial thoughts of like, Oh my gosh. In fact, I remember just about a week ago, I'm laying on my couch. I'm sitting with my wife and we're just having just the two of us a night together. And, um, she's just eating her dinner while I lay on the couch and listen to music. And I'm just looking at her and we were getting along. We didn't have any kind of conflict. And suddenly I'm looking at the body language on her face and I'm making this, like this story just starts inside my head that she doesn't love me. She doesn't care about me anymore. She, she wants out of this relationship. And like this thought is only like uh, three seconds long. And then she gets up and it's like, it's always like the timing of these things. Had she looked over and smiled and said, I loved you at that moment, that thought would have just disappeared. But right. instead, what she does is as I'm having that thought, she says, excuse me. And she gets up from the couch and goes to rinse her plate off in the kitchen. And she's just like has this dry face um, as she's doing all of this. And I'm just in my head going like, oh, my gosh, it like fed it. And so now I'm right now I'm 12 seconds in and I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh, the world is crumbling. Um, I-, I have those thoughts, too. And I don't know what the difference is. It is personality differences. We talk about the Enneagram or different oh. types of personalities. Some of us handle stressors better. Some of us are more triggered by things. Some of us have life experiences. You know, if you, if you had a life experience where every time something negative appeared to be going on, like it really wasn't and your family life was okay, then you learn to be like, oh, most of the time these things work out just fine. And right. if you have a life experience where shit always does hit the fan and shit always does, you know, crumble around you, then, then it perfectly makes sense that you're going to spiral out when these things happen. So when these stories come into my head, I just sit with them for a bit and I go like, okay, I could, I could entertain those, but I'm just going to hold it for a minute and I'm going to wait until like data and, and time and experience bears out what's really going on here. And, and I'll just kind of sit with that discomfort and let it kind of occur. Um, but I have those thoughts too. I'm, I'm spiraling in various moments. In different ways. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every, every day of my life as well.
2: Yeah. Kelsey and I have been talking about that. Um, We, we both spiral just in different ways. Um, Mine tends to be more uh, emotional and, and outwardly visible. Um, But that doesn't mean that, you know, one way is better than the other. It's just a matter of recognizing what, each of our patterns are, and then trying to have some understanding and compassion for each other. And I would have to say, you know, I think that the Enneagram has really helped us understand um, our personalities better. If you haven't taken the Enneagram test, I highly encourage you to do it. You're you're a, an eight or a nine, Bill?
1: I'm an eight with a nine wing.
2: And I am a one with all the wings. <laughs>
1: Um, tell me, you're you're okay. So, say that again. You're a what? A one?
2: I'm a one, which is the reformer or the perfectionist.
1: Okay, so the reformer. What? What? How does the reformer act out? What is? What are they trying to do?
2: So it, it's interesting because I I retook the test yesterday, and anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there because it pisses me off. But um, the reformer is always looking for a better way to do it, to do something. Not that people are doing it wrong. It's just that's our mo and and i we may have talked about this before with the dishwasher
1: right you want it done you want it done the A particular the, right. way and, I and like to order. you it's the best way
2: to me it's the best way the best and way. kelsey's kelsey's way is very haphazard in my perception she thinks it, it's it's amazing but her perception is different and so we would have this little conflict about the dishwasher and it used to just like irritate me so much because I'd be like, the bowl does not go in the dishwasher that way. And she's,
1: there is one right way to do this thing. I've done it the right way for years and I need you to perform. Yeah. Right. So the perfectionist needs everything right. And there is a right way to do it and and you're going to achieve it. And if somebody's doing it another way, you're going to look for a better way to do it. Like, yes. So you're going to reform something like, it's not that it's broken, but we could probably do it better. So let's change it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, As an eight, I'm a justice warrior. Um, I am, if there is anything uh, out of place in terms of how someone's being treated or whatnot, I have to intervene. And I will intervene to the point where whoever I judge to be the party guilty of being overbearing or causing trauma, I will be a complete ass to them, regardless of whether they really are the guilty party or not. And, And so in each of these Enneagram numbers, it shows up as a gift. Like Mikkel, you in a reformer, you're making the world a better place. Your effort is to make a world a better place. The justice warrior is looking to relieve those who are who are marginalized. Um, but in the same side, we also have shadow in each of those. Right. And so the reformer can demean others as they try to impose that their way is the best way, even though there may not be a right or a wrong way to doing something. It just matters how effective it is in getting the job done. And as a justice warrior, I am pissing people off left and right when I get in their face and all they want to do is just be left alone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's been interesting um, to see that piece of, of who we are and it does in some cases make it easier to understand why someone behaves the way that they do. Not that it's an excuse, but it's just insight. Right.
1: And and like I pointed out before, nobody should, again, we all handle these things differently. And you're saying like, there's not a right or wrong way. It's just the way we do it. Like we're all doing human the best way we know how. And when I look at like your life story, like when I see your childhood and the things you had to deal with growing up and some of the things that you encountered, like it only makes sense that you're going to be a little more prone to spiraling uh, outwardly when somebody else might be able to safely hold on to it and let it pass. Um, we need to just be charitable and compassionate towards each other and make space for all of these personality differences um, and allow people to be human the best way they know how. Yeah. And also calling us to improve and calling us to do shadow work and calling us to, to make some kind of... Uh, steps and being more aware of, of those mechanisms and to slowly improve them. I'm not that much better than I was five years ago, but I am better. You're not that much better than you were five years ago, but you are better. And it shows up and it's beautiful to watch us humans grow and to develop. But man, like you pointed out and I pointed out before, it's a ton of work and it takes it a is. ton of time.
2: It, it is. It's a ton of work. It's a ton of time. And it's a ton of like self-reflection. Um, you have to be willing to, to, acknowledge the parts of you that you've tried to hide for so long. It was funny last, last night, Bill, um, when we were hanging out with our friends, um, our friend, his younger brother came down from Salt Lake. Were you there when they got there? Yeah,
1: I was there when they got there. Yeah.
2: It was, we, we hung out till probably 2am, um, just talking to these, to these guys and just hanging out and you know me, I'm not shy. And so, um, two of them were sitting on the, the, uh, sectional outside and they were, there was enough space that, you know, they weren't sitting close, but there was not a space, there was not enough space for another person to sit in between them. And so I just, I just walked over there. I said to our one friend, I said, I'm going to make them really uncomfortable. And she was like, oh shit, what's going to happen? And I went and sat (laughs) because I like, I like that because it, it sort of forces people to confront. Why am I feeling uncomfortable? Why does this feel so weird to me? So I, I squeezed myself in between these two people and I held both of their hands and, um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can I, I, see yeah. Oh, I know you, I know. Like, you, there's no <laughs> doubt that you just walked right over, sat between them and made them uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it was awesome. It was so, it was so awesome. The one guy on my left sat there for a little bit and I could tell he was like stiff as a board. And he eventually made an excuse to get up and refused to come sit by me again, which was fine. But um, our friend's brother sat with me and um, their cousin was on the other side of him. And we were all just talking and we were talking about the podcast and being human. And two of the guys have been through divorces. And so we were comparing stories and um, sharing some of our, our collective pain and trauma through going through divorce. And... One guy um, at at one point said, you know, you and Kelsey are the first lesbians I have ever met. They're almost 40 and in never come ones. in contact.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: And so it was it was awesome that way because their perception of what lesbians are or how they should behave, I think, was, was shattered a little bit.
1: <laughs> in more ways than oh, one. I, I love it. I love it because I think that's so key is us confronting new things, new ideas, like like we, again, tell stories to ourselves about what lesbians look like or what lesbians act like or what, and and we grow up in certain systems. We grow up in certain family dynamics and to confront on any issue, to confront a liberal when you're a conservative, to confront uh, someone homosexual when you've been raised to think a certain way about that your whole life to, to confront, um, different ethnicities, to confront different, uh, political systems, different types of, uh, human beliefs or behaviors. Like anytime we confront diversity and sit with it for a while, I think we have to confront like our own beliefs and opinions and start to think deeply about those. And often that's where real changes occur.
2: Yeah. If we're willing.
1: If we're willing. Um, how did it go? How did the whole night go? We left probably around 1130-ish, 1145. Uh, you guys were there a few more hours. It was still a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, so much fun. Just just talking, just having conversation. It was good.
1: Yeah. I was... T- oh, go ahead. I'm tired. Yeah, me too. And you're more tired I'm, than me because I got to I'm too old you. for this. I, yeah, that's just it. Having grown up in a system, a religious system, where you and I uh, couldn't enjoy the normal young adult experience. Um we were in a system that told us that we had to be really good and we couldn't, you know, couldn't drink, couldn't hang out with the wrong people, and it told us what the wrong people meant. And so now here we are in our forties, essentially doing what the the college, you know, what the what other people in the world do at the college age and and we're late to this game. Um and and it, it does take a toll on us when we're this age to to get back up and do a podcast in the morning.
2: Yeah, but it's a blast. I love it. I got a text message this morning from a friend saying, um, "It was just before we started." She she said, "I'm on my way to Salt Lake. I'm listening to your podcast. You're amazing."
1: Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with this too. People people keep asking, like, "What you know? What are you doing?" And, I'm, and the thing I always want to talk about is you and me doing this podcast. That's the new fun thing in my life, and it's so enjoyable. I was uh, at the party last night, the first one that we went to. And man, the the hosts are just, they're super cool, super nice. I love them to death. Uh, I hope they're not offended that I left a little early, but I just, I couldn't be in that space. I had uh, had a few drinks before I'd gotten there and I just was not functioning in a large group the way I I would feel comfortable. And so I asked my wife if we could go. And uh, and then we went over to where a couple other friends had kind of gathered that night and just sat in a quieter space and it was much more conducive to me being okay. But as I'm talking to our friend, Ben, him and I were looking around the room and just watching, there's a certain ritual. And I mean this in the truest sense of ritual. When you go to a party, it really is a ritual. And you look around and everybody interacts in these, you can almost see it play out and you can almost write down what's going to happen. But as people begin to talk and share time with each other, there is this interaction of trying to um, kind of figure out where we belong in this in this uh, group of people. And and then at some point, someone breaks that interaction off and these people move on to somewhere else and now these people talk and it affects that group. So now they split off at some point and they go talk to different people. And, and I look at like, it's only been maybe a couple hundred years where humans have gotten together on the weekend to go to someone's house and have drinks and have a party. But if you go back like, 5,000 years or 10,000 years, this same dynamic played out in a different way, probably around a fire somewhere. And, and it's interesting to watch humans as they try to figure out their roles, they try to figure out how they belong, try to figure out who they can trust and who they can't, who they have things in common with and who they don't. Um, this, this thing we call a party is really a fun exercise of human behavior if you sit back and just watch people interact with each other. And, and Ben and I were just looking at that and talking about it and then laughing at ourselves as we were doing the very same thing talking to each other. Um, it was quite an interesting thing when you become aware of some of those dynamics when they're playing out, just like you were talking about at the, at the party when you said you recognized, what was it, the you were, the myopic? Yes. Like, like you were in your head, you were aware that you were being myopic, and yet there you are doing that very right. thing. Right. And so we watch these, uh, these mechanisms play out that we've developed over tens of thousands of years. Um, and it just becomes, you know, here it is 2019. And even when you know how these things work, you get lost in being in them yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard for me at times to not get frustrated with that. Um, I expect a lot of myself, which again, is part of the reformer. Um, but I'm also learning to be more kind and patient to my, to myself. Um, we were talking with this group of friends last night. I don't know if you guys were there at this point, but I think that you were. Um, but I was talking to Amanda because she and I are alike in that way. We both tend to spiral and it tends to be really emotional and dramatic and, and all the things. And, um, I I said to someone at some point, but I think it was Amanda. I said, you wouldn't talk to a little girl or a kid or, you know, your friend the way that you talk to yourself in those moments, because we're really good at beating ourselves up. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop doing that. Um, so she and I made a commitment last night to each other that we're going to, we're going to try. We're going to try a little harder. We're going to do a little better and also make room for ourselves to make mistakes.
1: Yeah. Cause we're gonna make them like that's human to make mistakes.
2: Yeah, it is. It sucks.
1: Yeah, it. I don't. I don't. There's no better way to do it. Um, whatever. Again, every species on this planet, plant life, trees, dogs, giraffes, dolphins, whales. And again, I don't know how developed their consciousness is, but something happened 20,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, whenever it was, something happened where humans became something different than that. Um, the way in which we think about situations as they're happening, the way we can plan for the future. And, and yet, within us are all these mechanisms that that we've just brought along for the ride for all those years as well. And that combination just makes... Being a human so quirky and strange, and yet we've come up with all these arbitrary constructs in order to make sense of the world in front of us and to be able to look at each other and make sense of each other, um, to pick out similarities and differences, to pick out boundaries and, and, and codes of ethics and codes of etiquette and all the things we do to kind of just live in the same space with each other. And in reality, we're so different. Like you are so different from me and in some ways really the same, but, but in some right. ways so different and it's a miracle that we ever can really even, Interact. even get close enough to thinking we understand exactly what the other person is doing.
2: Right. Right.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy. And, and along with that comes mistakes. We're going to goof up and all of us make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Some of them are serious. But hell, like, what is a life if we don't make some serious mistakes, too?
2: Yeah. It would be pretty boring if we didn't make mistakes. But I'm, like, life is so good. It's so good.
1: Yeah. And most of the time we get it right. Most of the time Mm, we get it right.
2: I'm just guessing.
1: Yeah, but most of the time you guess right. You get up in the morning. You turn your (laughs) alarm clock off. You go to work. You show up on time. You do your job. You go home. You make dinner. You watch your kids. You put them to bed. You know, like, life has a sense of order and most of the time things are going the way they're supposed to kind of go and then, you know, t- 5% of the day, 3% of the day, 2% of the day, whatever it is, we're screwing 98% we're screwing shit up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm just learning to accept it more and be kinder to myself and um realize that my shit is your shit too.
1: Yeah, we we all have shit. Some of it is shared. Some of your shit's my shit. Some of your shit's different. But why can I? How can I judge it when I have my own different shit? That's my own problem. Right. So yeah, to be kinder, be compassionate to each other, and to to. I, and I think knowing human behavior, learning about human behavior, trying to understand human behavior, makes me gentler on myself, and it also makes me gentler on others. And it, I think it makes life interesting when you start seeing the mechanisms, and you're aware of how they're playing out in someone else as well as in yourself. Yeah. What else you got?
2: Ah, uh, my hair smells like campfire, so...
1: Yeah, um, Our we had a friend last night who poured gasoline. I, I, I was a little nervous.
2: It wasn't gasoline, it was lighter fluid.
1: Uh, it looked like it was in one of those red gasoline pails. Are <laughs> you sure sh- it was lighter. You're sure?
2: <laughs> I saw a small stream what looked like lighter fluid. Okay. I did not see.
1: See, this was a story in my head. I saw him pouring... <laughs> A small, red, one-gallon pail of gasoline all over the fire. And I could smell the gasoline.
2: Oh, I didn't smell gas. I just smelled smoke.
1: I know. That's my story in my head. And so (laughs) you see him pouring just a bottle of lighter fluid, and I'm here thinking, like, he's going to blow the whole house up. And we were, like, five feet away from him. And he like he goes like you and he's one of these guys that if you if you have a story in your head where like you show fear he's gonna laugh at that and play games with it and so he lights the thing and acts like he's got his eyebrows singed you know and so it just plays into the story even further. It was yeah, a lot fun. uh, of so fun, really good night last night. Both places were fun to be at and it was enjoyable and uh, just I-, I apologize for my. Limitedness in those conversations, but it was fun to be around people and, and to just have a good time and laugh at a bunch of things. Um, what else? Uh, what are we going to do next week?
2: It's your turn next week. So why don't you tell me? You've probably already got it planned out. And yeah. Had it planned oh, yeah. Out for a yeah. I've got
1: an outline. I've got lots of resources I'll send you. Um,
2: I don't want to hear it.
1: <laughs> let's see. Next week. Um, I think we do have to get into sexuality. I think it's an important concept of awakeness. So it, my, I've got two things. One is I want to interview more people. So I, we maybe we'll interview someone. And the okay. other is that if we don't interview someone, I think the topic's going to be sexuality. Okay. So if be prepared next week for uh, a you fun conversation. You know I'm not going to prepare way. myself. No, no, no. I'm talking to the audience. I want them okay. to prepare themselves. I want them <laughs> to spend a lot of self-reflection time getting ready for next week's Almost awaken.
0: Sounds good. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes. Make a donation to keep this podcast running, Email us a question or comment or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartley.